0: This is the 11th chapter of Hebrews, just the first two verses. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he created the universe. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Dallas Willard tells a story of a man named uh, Robert McFarlane. Robert McFarlane is not a businessman, but due to a death in the family, he has inherited the family insurance business. And it's not in great shape. And he's struggling in the Los Angeles area trying to get it together, and it is a difficult battle. And one day, as Willard tells the story, McFarland is on the freeway on his way to work, and he's just about decided, you know what, I think I'm going to turn off the freeway and just drive as far away from this office as I can get and just give it up. This wasn't my business anyway. And then he heard an audible voice that said to him, get off the freeway and pull over to the curb. And so he did, got off the freeway, pulled over to the curb. And received, in his spirit, encouragement to hang in. And that day, McFarlane reports that he successfully completed 22 different transactions in the business that helped turn it around. Dallas Willard tells a story in a book called Hearing God. And unless you think that uh, Dallas Willard is somehow theologically uh, flighty or outside the mainstream, I want to remind you of who he is. For many years before his death, he was the head of the Graduate School of Philosophy at the University of Southern California and an ordained Baptist minister. But he recognized what he called a paradox, and he said the paradox is this, that as Christians, most of us believe that God speaks, and yet we're not really sure how God speaks. And so he began to address that, and we'll look at that In the weeks ahead. Now, I suspect that there are some people who don't, who are Christians and don't really believe that God still speaks today. But my sense is most of us do, but we probably just haven't experienced it. Uh, We're a little bit like my friend and colleague Chris Estes. Chris leads our recovery ministry, both on this campus and on our Asbury campus. And he talks about the only time in his life when he heard audibly the voice of God. He said it was bowling night. It was league night and he was there with his wife and they were getting ready to bowl. And their bowling team was one person short and his wife was very excited because that meant they could be finished earlier and get home. And so she was pretty uh, happy about that prospect when all of a sudden there was an announcement over the PA that said there was a bowler who had just showed up who was looking to join a team if a team needed him that evening. He looked at his wife and she gave him that don't even think about it look. And he said, suddenly I heard a voice say to me, go ask him to join your team. Can you imagine your wife, a voice, your wife, a voice, how powerful that voice must have been because he went forward, invited the man to join the team. And he said, as the evening rolled on, two things happened. Number one, this man bowled a perfect game, 300. And then Chris said, and I'm bowling with him and I bowled the highest score I'd ever bowled in my whole life. And he said, from that moment on, he said, I got interested in the reality that maybe God speaks. A lot of us, I think, may have that reality in our head, but we don't have the experience of it. I'm reminded of what John Bailey said a few decades ago about God's presence and God's voice. He said, you know, for those who don't believe in it, no amount of intellectual arguing and reasoning is going to prove it to them. And for those who already believe it, any sort of arguing or reasoning is probably superfluous. They already believe it. But let me go ahead and argue it anyway. I would like to, for the weeks ahead, give you a theoretical and biblical framework for what I believe is the reality that God still speaks today. So here's how I'd like to establish it. Number one, I think you just ought to know God speaks in the Bible. As the author to Hebrews says, and many times and in various ways. Let's just look at some of the ways in, in the Old Testament God spoke. God spoke in an audible voice to Abraham. To Joseph, he spoke in dreams. To Moses, he spoke in a burning bush. To the people of Israel in Egypt, he spoke through the plagues. To Gideon, he spoke through a fleece. To Balaam, he spoke through a donkey. To the priest, he spoke through what we might call holy dice. They were called Urim and Thummim, and kind you were trying to decide what God wanted, and you rolled them, and, see, and you saw how they came up, and it, and it gave you um, a direction uh, to follow. Uh, for uh, David, he actually spoke through another man, the prophet Samuel. To Elijah, he spoke in a still, small voice. To an, in another book, in Daniel, God speaks through an angel. And also in Daniel's that most mysterious story of King Belshazzar of the Babylonians who sees this mysterious hand writing on the wall. All in all, there are at least 24 different ways and phenomenon in the Old Testament through which God speaks to people. And then God doesn't stop when it comes to the New Testament. God ratchets it up. And in fact, when John gives Jesus a name in John chapter 1, he calls Jesus the Word. The word made flesh, because through everything Jesus does, God is speaking. And the Gospel of John, God speaks through seven signs or seven different uh, miracles that John actually counts out for us. Um, God, when Jesus is about to be born, well, first, of the, born, the birth of John the Baptist, God has an angel appear to Zechariah and says, You're going to name this boy John. And then God actually uh, has an angel appear to Joseph that says, Don't divorce Mary. Uh, you know, stay with her. Uh, name this child Jesus. He's Emmanuel, God with us. And then, uh, after um, the baby is born, Joseph gets word uh, through an angel I mean, through a dream, excuse me through a dream that they need to get out of Dodge. They need to leave Bethlehem and they flee to Egypt. And then uh, you get also other stories of of Peter in the book of Acts gets led by a vision. Uh, One day he's uh, hungry, it's lunchtime, and and he gets a vision. God shows him something. Uh, Philip sees a man in a dream who says, come over to where we are and preach us the gospel. All throughout the book of Acts, you just see time after time where the Holy Spirit um, personally directs the church, opening doors and, and closing doors, and God constantly communicates all the way through the New Testament. Now, God then speaks in the Old Testament New Testament, but the fact of the matter is God continued to speak through history. Some of the more amazing and interesting circumstances, I wanted to share a few of them with you. One is uh, because this guy, is uh, he stirs with a big stick. His name is Eusebius. He's the major historian of the early church. And Eusebius recounts that before the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., God gives a word to his people that basically says, you need to get out of there. Now, unfortunately, a lot of them didn't heed that word, but that God spoke to them directly and said, leave Jerusalem. And of course, within months, the Romans had torn it down, torched it. They never believed it could happen because the temple was in the middle of Jerusalem. And they thought, well, God will never let anything happen to this building but in fact, it did. And then go about 350, 360 years forward, there's a man named uh, Augustine. Uh, and Augustine becomes, of course, the primary theologian in the first several centuries of the church. But his, um, his early careers, we might say, checkered, uh, marked by uh, licentiousness, rowdiness, uh, theft, fornication. There's just all sorts of stuff. He's not living the, the straight arrow life. But we're told one day in 438 AD that, that he hears a voice that says, pick up and read. And what he picks up and reads is uh, the book of Romans. And he, and, and he starts at a place that we now know with chapters and verse numbers was Romans 13, 14, where Paul says this. Clothe yourself in Jesus and basically live, leave behind the sinful desires of your flesh. And Augustine receives that. Very verse, the first one he looks at is a personal message to clean up his act, change his ways, and begins to follow Christ. Well, let's go forward about 1100 years to the time of the Reformation. And one of the well known Scottish reformers, and most of us who are Methodists aren't too familiar with the Scottish reformers, a guy named George Wishart. And George apparently is fairly well known in his day. For getting special words from God and he tells townspeople and other people about them and they usually come true. And, uh, but that's not the main problem with George. The main problem is his preaching contradicts the archbishop of the area, a man named David Beacon. And uh, actually, it has very little to do with matters of religion. He's criticizing these business alliances that the church is making that he believes are unholy and and unhealthy. And so um, Archbishop uh, Beacon basically has Wizhardt arrested. And the magistrate throws him out of town and says, don't preach here anymore. You must leave. And he's on his way out of town. He says, "Okay, but if you throw me out of town, bad things are going to happen in your town. And sure enough, within four days, a plague hits the town let me tell you the kind of man George Wishart was. He comes back into town when he gets word that plague is hit and ministers to the people with the plague and risks himself, prays for their relief, preaches for them to convert, um, and and stays in the town. But the archbishop is still not very happy with him. And one day, uh, he's on his way to a meeting, and he has a disciple, a man who will become more famous than he is, a guy named John Knox. And his disciple basically says, Well, I want to go with you to this meeting. And he said, No. He said, at this meeting, I'm going to be arrested and they're going to put me to death. And he says to Knox, it is enough to have one sacrifice at a time. And sure enough, he goes to the meeting, they come in, they arrest him, and they execute him. But at the point at which they are getting ready to, they've got him on the gallows and they're going to execute uh, George, he looks up and from his luxury box, he can see the archbishop there in in the palace, kind of looking down over everything. And he points up there and he says, in the very spot, Where you so pridefully sit, you will, in, I think he said, four days, die. Well, he was off by a couple months. It was almost three months later. And in his luxury box, over which he had looked out over the gallows, the archbishop is murdered, exactly as was Hart predicted. And then his disciple, John Knox, was so well known for... uh, God speaking to him and passing it on to others uh, that the, the seminary at St. Andrews, the school of theology there in, in that day, calls him the prophet of the nation and a true prophet. I don't know if you're familiar with seminaries. That's not something they do. The place I, I, I went to would never, like, proclaim any of us a true prophet who speaks for God. Um, but that's how well-known Knox was. And he pr- on his deathbed, it gets proven again. He's dying and... Uh, and he has a good friend named William Kirklady who is holding the Edinburgh Castle on behalf of Mary, Queen of Scots against, uh, against uh, people attacking the castle. Uh, and he, he says, send word to William and tell him not to do this and to leave. And that if he doesn't, he will find himself hanging off the side of the castle, rotting in the sun. Well, Kirklady assumes this is just a mad ravings of a person near death and pays no attention to it. Sure enough, Castle is overrun. Uh, He is lynched by a rope. He's thrown over the side of Edinburgh Castle and is left there to rot in the sun. Knox and Wishart both had a tradition of being able to hear God's voice and passing it on to people. And then come to America a century later and there's a guy named George Fox. You may be familiar if I tell you who he started, the Quaker's. And Fox has this experience with God and a situation that he doesn't know the answer to and he hears a voice tell him, tells him there is one who can speak. And he learns to listen for God's advice on situations. And as you may know, the Quakers become the people of the, quote, inner light, unquote. And they're trained in silence and very important in silence to listen to God's voice. And then let's go back across the Atlantic to the Methodists. The Methodists are founded by two brothers, Uh, Charles and John Wesley. Charles Wesley, May 21st, 1738, Pentecost Sunday, is, uh, we might say, converted. Yes, he's, he's a Christian, but he doesn't really have a living, dynamic faith. There's something missing in his life. He's also suffering from pneumonia. It's not a good day for Charles. But Charles gets an impression that he's supposed to read this book in front of him. And the book is written by a man named Martin Luther. And it is on the it's a commentary on the New Testament letter of Galatians. So he opens the preface, starts to read, and his heart changes. And he comes to a personal dynamic faith in the love of God in Jesus Christ. And Charles gets really excited and look at all the hymns in our handle from that excitement in hearing God's voice. And then three days later, May twenty I mean, excuse me. Three days later, May 24th, 1738, in a a place on Aldersgate Street, Wesley's sitting at the back of the room like a good Methodist will later, and he's listening to somebody read from Martin Luther's preface to the letter to the Romans. Again, Luther. Again, a preface. Not even the Bible, just a preface to a commentary. And he says, suddenly I felt my heart strangely warmed. I believe that Christ died for me, even for me and my sins. And Wesley becomes on fire. God spoke to both of them through a human author and a preface, two different prefaces, to two different books. And God continues to speak today. The history of this church is a history of people listening to God's voice and, what, and in different ways and responding. Uh, this September, we're going to celebrate 20 years in this new location and in this uh, new building. And one of the things that happened, and those of you who were here, I wasn't. You know the story. That basically what happened is starting in the early 1980s, God closed all sorts of doors and avenues to allow our church to stay in its original location. And then miraculously opened up these 13 acres for a just giveaway price that we just happened to have on hand. And we came over here. People learned to read God's voice, hear God's voice, and respond. And then years later our North Campus Riverside, you probably, you may know how it got started. One day, one of our pastors, Scott Harris, driving out 281 and, and, uh, he, he's at almost at the intersection of 281 and highway 46. He sees this ranch style. It used to be like an antique store, a home with like a barn attached. And it says for lease. And he gets the, the, the strong feeling he's supposed to pull in there. So he does. A guy meets him and he, and he says, well, you know, I'm interested in leasing it. And he said, look, I'm from a church. I don't have power to do any of that. And the realtor's kind of like, no, oh, he's bummed. But he shows it to him anyway. Shows him a woman who's painting um, uh, the back porch. And he says, well, if you're from the church, that woman there needs prayer. Scott laughs and they move on. And he calls another one of the leaders of our church, Linda Marceau. Linda drives up there. Same deal. He comes out thinking she could buy it. And she says, no, oh, man, I'm, I'm from a church. I don't have that power. We're just looking. He said, oh, you're from a church. Points the lady painting on the, uh, the back porch. Said, well, if you're from church, she needs prayer. Linda doesn't laugh. She looks at the woman and says, well, do you? Woman comes down from the ladder. The, the woman indicates that, yes, in fact, she's a single mother with more bills uh, more than she has money. And Linda asks her how much. And Linda has a reason for this. Linda is carrying money in her purse. In New Heights, they had taken an offering to give a single mother who was facing difficulty in our community uh, paying her bills. And they'd given her uh, the money, and she looked at it and said, this is way more money than I need, and gave half of it back to Linda, and it happened to be in her purse. $1,300. So she asked the woman, without telling her any of this, says, well, how much do you need? And the woman said, oh, I need a lot. I need $1,300. Linda said, well, I knew I was supposed to give it to you. The woman, as you know, comes over to our church, becomes a Christian, uh, and then Pam Barquest and has started both our Hope Center up north and our Hope Center here, our thrift shop, and now dedicates her life to helping other people who find themselves in difficult situations. The fact of the matter is God still speaks for those willing to listen. And it's not just to churches and, and great religious leaders and denominations. God speaks to individual people to, to guide and direct and assist them in their life as well. Um, about 12 years ago, our church made the decision, um, which we thought was a good decision, to sell the parsonage. So my family needed uh, to move somewhere. So we were looking for where we'd move our family. We had two still in school, in public school, and we were trying to figure it out. And we kind of got down to two houses, but neither one was a slam dunk. And so I'm still thinking about it. And I'm, on, I'm driving down Eisenhower. I'm going from the church, going that way, turn on Claywell and going to Eisenhower, trying to uh, go to uh, Bamsey. And then, you know, pick up 35 over there and go to Bamsey. But um, as I'm doing it, I drive past this intersection, and I get a strong leading that I'm supposed to turn down that intersection. Pike Pike Road. So I turn. There's nothing. There's not even a house for sale. So I thought, well, that was weird. So I get back and I go to Bamsey and I'm coming back. Same way. Down Eisenhower. And there I am. Same intersection. I get turn. So, okay. I'll turn again. Not an audible voice. Just some sort of leading that the house was there. And, and there's no house there for sale. Not even the ones that are not for sale that really look like it would fit us. And I just thought, well, uh, I messed that one up and went on, and we finally made a hard decision between the two houses, chose our house, uh, which necessitated our kids changing schools. So about two months later, um, we've moved. Our son is in in his new um, school. I'm waiting to pick him up from the elementary school. I'm parked on the side street. He's going to come out and meet me. And I don't know why. I just happened to look up to see what the street name is. And, of course, the street is Pike Road. That's the elementary school that my son would go to. And as I look back, I hadn't missed it. God had been trying to tell me, look, it's this district. It's this area. This is the one that I have for you. And I just, I I thought I'd missed it. I just didn't quite know how to apply it. But I'm telling you that God will speak even on personal issues to those who are willing to. To listen, now, I'm not, I know people would go to their closet and say, God, what outfit am I supposed to wear today? I, I, I don't know. Um, because part of us, I think God wants us to grow up and make a lot of decisions on our own. But I do know that guidance is available. E. Stanley Jones, one of the great Christians of the 20th century said, does God speak to his people? He said, strange if God wouldn't. I mean, you're, if you're a parent, you've got kids, you're going to not communicate with them. You don't want to offer them guidance. You don't want to steer them. Really? I mean, strange if God wouldn't speak to us. So over the next five weeks, we're going to talk about how God speaks. And I'm going to tell you what you've got to do, besides show up or or listen online. You're going to have to come with some faith. Faith that you are really lovable and likable. That God really is interested in the direction of your life. That God has a personal interest in you. You're going to have to make that leap because I think a lot of us have taught we're sinners, we're worms. God, you know, God loves you. You're a child uh, of God, and and so first understand that you're worth communicating with. Second thing is you're going to have to open yourself up to all the avenues by which God will communicate. Dallas Willard says this, and I think it's exactly right: that God saves the real supernatural for the less mature. There are still miracles, and there are still loud voices. But those are for the people that haven't learned to hear the other way. For most of us, God wants us to grow up, become more mature in Christ, so that we learn to perceive God uh, in more subtle ways. Uh, This is what the rabbis said in Jesus' day. They said, you should make your ear like a hopper and acquire a uh, a, um, perspective heart. Now, a hopper was not something by which you eliminated commercials on TV. A hopper was like a... um, a large funnel, and almost like cornucopia. or um, And the large funnel was, of course, wide at the top and then narrowed. And what you would do, you'd pour the grain and everything and, and sift down through it. And so what the rabbis were saying is open yourself widely to God by looking and listening. And then with your perceptive heart, you'll be able to shake and sift through and find out what is really of God and what isn't and it's not an exact science and we won't master it in a day or a week but just like we learn our best friend's voice or our uh, children's voice over time we'll learn God's voice about 15 years ago we had a guest preacher in the sanctuary from a seminary in Dallas and he said this, he said, we need to decide if the book of Acts, where God is always directing and, op- and responding to people and talking with people and opening doors, closing doors. He said, we need to decide if the book of Acts represents normal Christianity or not. He said, if it does represent normal Christianity, then we need to go after it. He said, if it doesn't represent normal Christianity, we need to ask ourselves, well, why not? If God acted that way, then Would God not act that way now on behalf of God's children, children like you and like me, who God deeply loves?